0: You're listening to the Jilted Indian Podcast, a show that examines the immigrant and first-gen South Asian American experience through politics, history, and pop culture. Join our hosts as they explore all the ways they don't fit in, reclaim their connections to their Indian heritage, and eventually say, fuck it, we're starting a feminist commune. Here are your hosts.
1: Hey there, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners. It's Miranda. Pooja. Anju. Anju. And this is a special post-election bonus in which we love on our Madam Vice President-Elect, Kamala Harris. In our Jilted Indian Election Spectacular, we went on for a while. I don't know if any of y'all know this, but we can talk. So we had to edit down what was around an hour and a half of audio to our um, actual episode length. And part of that included us pretty much going on and on and on about Kamala Harris and we wanted to give some of that to you but we also wanted to talk a little bit about our feelings at this very moment at the time of record on this day it had been announced that Joe Biden has been projected to win the presidency of the United States and that means with him is our first half Jamaican half Indian female Vice President-elect Kamala Harris And we wanted to share some of our feelings at this moment. I don't know about y'all, but it took me a while to unwind from all the trauma I've felt for the past four years to feel anything. But then I started seeing things like she updated her Twitter to say Vice President Elect Kamala Harris. I started seeing the way her sister reacted, the way her niece was reacting. I... Started seeing black women rejoice. I started seeing South Asian women rejoice, and that started to make it a little bit more real for me. What about y'all?
2: Same. I have not actually looked as much on social media because today, but, but yeah, it was. Uh, um, I'm a little numb, but it is very exciting. I think it'll probably sink in a little bit more later, <laughs> once I've had a chance to really sit with the news.
1: <laughs> what about you, Pooja? Uh,
2: uh...
3: I am always a Debbie Downer Killjoy type of person, but I think in this context, I'm trying very hard not to be. In the time since we recorded that election special, and up until the election, I did a lot more reading on Senator Harris and, you know, from all these different local LA journalists and all these people who have been covering her to get kind of like a fuller picture of her and to truly acknowledge what. Her perceived shortcomings are and where her blind spots may be and truly track how she's developed and progressed as a progressive and you know as a politician and so I think we can definitely say that we are not at a point yet where we can recognize how much it took for her to get here because it just feels So shaky at the moment, giving the context of everything that we're in. There are people who tried to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. There are people who tried to gun down Steve Scalise. There are people who tried to send poison to elected officials. So I want to acknowledge that my numbness comes from a place of abject fear. I don't want this snatched away from us. It is so historic. It is so great. It took the Herculean efforts of another black woman, Stacey Abrams, to ensure that one black woman got seated into the second highest level of power and government, you know, in the modern world.
2: Um, I also want to acknowledge, because it's worth pointing out, that this is the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage, right? So there is something kind of particular to note about the fact that we're having our very first woman vice president on this particular year is the year that we've elected her. So...
3: And- just one last piece of synergy there it's you know Kamala Harris launched her presidential bid you know with Shirley Chisholm's for the people messaging and the the colors today somebody shared a clip on social media of Shirley Chisholm at the end of her career when her hair is white and she's sitting there saying that there's no way that a woman would become president without first becoming vice president that's how the country works And so just that full circle for me, because Shirley Chisholm is one of my personal heroes. She's also West Indian of Caribbean descent, and she was the first elected woman to Congress in that demographic. So I love her so much and all that she did for this country. So just to to hear that, to see that, just a lot of things coming to fruition in Lovecraft country on HBO. There's a scene in there where they go back in time. It's a sci-fi show. They go back in time and something traumatic is about to happen. They cannot change the past. And the character who has to sacrifice her life does so with the messaging that she does this knowing that her great-grandson is going to be her legacy and is going to be the fruits of this sacrifice. And just to think about all the people that John Lewis is not here to see this, and his county was one of the ones that delivered for Georgia— just just the context of history, God, I didn't think I was going to get emotional, but the context of history is just so overwhelming at this point that, you know, despite what you feel about Senator Harris, you have to give her her due, and this is our opportunity to be part of that. So without further ado, here's our episode. On August 11th, 2020, history was made U.S history, world history, universe history when Kamala Davy Harris was nominated to be the Vice Presidential Candidate on the 2020 Democratic Ticket. She is the first woman of color to be nominated for Top of Ticket on any major party. Shout out to Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman to run for president, although she did not secure that nomination. The pick is representative of the base of the party, women of color, as well as a signifier that the momentum started with the 2016 disappointment where women ran for something is continuing. So this segment, we're going to talk about our reactions to Senator Harris's nomination for vice president.
1: Yeah. So um, how I felt about the Kamala Harris nomination, there's two things, and I swear I'll get to that other thing. I just don't want to talk about it. But number one, immediately, I went To all of the Indian as fuck moments that happened during her campaign, during, you know, actually that we already knew about her as a person. When you're Indian, you are attuned to all the Indian things, and you're an Indian person, you claim everything except for terrible people. You claim every good thing that Indians you know do we once we were Miss America all Indians were Miss America when we won when we won the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire (laughs) (laughs) we we won an Oscar so now we're the vice presidential candidate you guys have to understand how Indians think we claim all the good things of all of our most successful we win the spelling bee every fucking year We think we have that football mentality about ourselves.
2: This is why every disappointment is a collective disappointment. Like you have shamed the community.
1: (laughs) Yes. When Indians fuck up, we're like, fuck you. Like, fuck you. We had something good going. God. Nimrata. Anyway, so (laughs) when a half Indian, half Jamaican woman secured the VP nom, It was very, I mean, almost automatic to go to the Indian as fuck moments. I immediately pulled up Mindy Kaling and Kamala Harris making Masala Dosha together. That uh, video that she made during uh, the primary before Kamala's campaign suspended. It was a really fun moment where you got to hear them talk about very nuanced things about being Indian And I swear that that video meant a lot to everyone who's Indian who saw it because we saw our lives in it. And so um, it made me immediately think of the family photo of her with, um, I think it's PV Gopalan, Mm -hmm. like her grandfather. Um, And it was her and Maya and I think, Me isn't Mina in that photo as yeah, well? Yeah, she is. Yeah, <laughs> and they're so cute. And it's just like this the photo of all them, and uh, Kamala Harris is in Asari, and everyone's in Indian clothes, and that is just a normal fucking photo op for us. You have no idea how fucking normal that photo is. Anju, Pooja, do y'all have photos that look like this? Yes, of right?
2: Every time we go back to India, there's a, a family photo op for sure.
1: And the fact, you know, how old timey the photo looks, you know, that shit was put on Kodak like that. We all have family photos that look like that with those clothes, with those melanin colors. You know what I mean? Like I'm seeing like we are seeing our own lives. You know, before us, we're seeing this person being elevated to prominence you know before our very eyes and it's such a huge huge moment and that was the first thing i went to you know what i mean so um there's that the second thing i won't talk for much longer than five seconds the next thought i had was sexism how is sexism gonna fuck up this moment for us um i'm gonna stop talking about that immediately
2: but (laughs) (laughs) because
1: i told you i ran out of my drink already um Side note: I refilled it between the segments, <laughs> but I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I invite all of you to put away your rehearsed Kamala Harris rhetoric. Um, you know that has nothing to do with who she is, and it, it you know, put that rhetoric away. That serves no purpose except to prevent critical thinking. And serves no purpose except to be what the opposition says, you know? And that's that's what Pooja was talking about earlier. Propaganda. Like, language is so... It's a flame. It can turn into a fire. I'm telling you to put that away for two seconds. And I invite you to meet Kamala Harris, the person. So, I'm talking about the woman who has shown us she is capable of growth. That she is capable of being malleable, and civic-minded. So can we stop, like, for two seconds? I'm asking us to stop being soothsayers and stop being like, she's gonna this and she's gonna that because, like, uh, you don't fucking know her. You don't know anything about her except what opposition has told you to say. I'm asking you to stop for two seconds because I've noticed something. When you talk about Story. When you talk about a person's story and what a person means to you, it's very hard to combat that story with rehearsed rhetoric. It forces you to listen. So like the day after Kamala Harris was nominated, I knew certain people in my life were going to bring it up. The first thing I said was, Oh my God, it's so fucking incredible to see someone who shares my blood, you know, shares my heritage, running as a vp nom for the democratic party and all i could talk about was her indianness because that's everything i know right and no one can say shit to that no one can say shit to that i'm talking about somebody who has talked about her indianness and i am i'm forwarding that to everybody like hey look at this and you know when you talk about someone's story you're forced to listen so i have a few things about kamala harris i'd like to share So, she is, believe it or not, 55 years old. Bottle that up and sell it, sister. I'd buy it. (laughs) Like, she looks incredible. (laughs) She looks incredible. Um, She was born in Oakland, California, of two PhD parents. Her Indian biologist, breast cancer researcher mom, and her Jamaican Stanford professor emeritus in economics dad. Her Indian grandfather, who was a freedom fighter and a women's right advocate, She's the sister of Maya Harris. She's the Aunt Tamina Harris. She participated fully in both of her cultures, as I mentioned earlier. She visited Jamaica and Chennai, India. Her parents divorced, but she stayed connected to her heritage. She would go with her mother to temple. She is a learning human being, right? Like uh, To me, Kamala Harris is somebody who wants to know the ins and outs and every crevice of her story. And what a gift, because we got to experience her story. How many people keep their story buried inside, right? Or for whatever reason, don't think to observe and look at it. Well, hell, she didn't do that. And we got to hear about her story enough that we're even talking about it right now. So she was born in 1964. She witnessed desegregation. She was busted to a formerly 95% white elementary school. She and her sister witnessed the racism that was in full force during the Civil Rights era. So imagine that being a part of (laughs) your story. She was a graduate of Howard University. She's an HBCU grad, and that is so freaking huge. She's also a graduate of UC Hastings College of Law, um, as many of you know, she's a former DA of San Francisco, district attorney of San Francisco, after tons of experience working in district attorney offices in California, twice elected as the AG of California before becoming a, an elected U.S. senator representing California. Yeah, okay, it's really hard for me to say all that without being bitter as fuck, because, I mean, how many mediocre men have been elevated to office with not even the tiniest fraction of that much of a resume? OK. All right. Now, moving on. <laughs> she I want to bring up her ability to be a civic minded politician. So remember this and remember this in your own life. White supremacy is a sickness, as Sonia Renee Taylor says. If you don't follow Sonia Renee Taylor on Instagram, follow her. Show me one person who hasn't had to deal with that and grow out of it. I bet I could call out anyone's former bullshit ideologies, former bullshit actions, and former bullshit positions. Anyone could do that to me. People grow. Can we we just for two seconds say, people grow. Ready? Say it. People People grow. grow. God damn it. Okay, thank (laughs) you. Thank y'all. So, keep that in mind. Now, prior to her Senate career, Kamala Harris created a hate crimes unit. She focused on hate crimes against LGBT children and teens in schools. She And I believe that was after the death of a transgendered teen. She worked with Gavin Newsom to ban gun shows. She was against the death penalty. She settled several multi-million, and in some case, billion-dollar lawsuits against fraudulent behaviors or fraudulent actions of companies. She fought for debt relief for homeowners who suffered foreclosure. She... Fought for a financial recovery for California's public employee and teachers' pensions. She fought for privacy rights. She fought against Proposition 8, attempting to ban gay marriage. She fought to ban the gay and trans panic defense in court in a fight against hate crimes. I urge everyone who claims to not like her for her record to read her whole fucking record. Stop trying to pretend you're a campaign speechwriter for her opposition. And I want you to try your darndest to hold her successes with her imperfections and even her failures, her mistakes. See the whole politician. You'll see that she has grown.
2: To that point, I also think it's important to remember that she was a prosecutor in the early 2000s when, you know, like we currently are in an era of progressive criminal justice reform, but that was not the mood then. So as the first person of color elected into that office, there she had to walk a tightrope of, being you know tough on crime while also pushing for reforms and so you have to put that that track record of hers in, in context like yes there are things that she did that we're not thrilled about but they were things that she needed to do at the time while also pushing for a lot of progressive reforms that nobody before her had done at the
1: time yes oh my god in 2005 2006 she was doing some progressive ass shit right and it's her job she's trying to keep her job i won't say that that's an excuse. But it just wasn't the cultural mindset at the time. Like, show me your record of fighting shit at 2005. You know what I mean?
3: Well, and also, it's like, what what the hell is this purity test all of a sudden? The Democratic Party lets in pro-life Democrats, if there's such a thing, under our big umbrella tent. And... To say that she's any less of a progressive because she upheld the law and duties of her office as written and prescribed by state laws and constitutions is kind of a purity test in my eye. And that's unfair because like you're saying, Miranda, she has progressed and moved. One of the big things people point to is her treatment of sex workers on that back page thing. Well, she had to stop human trafficking of minors and sex workers against their will. Yes, there was fallout from that. But I think now she's in a position to hear that out and maybe change her mind because we've seen her progress in her politics as she's been put on the larger national stage. Right.
1: Correct. Like, so we're talking about her actions as a local to her actions on a state level, to her actions on a national level, and the context surrounding those positions at that time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not as simple as saying this is what she stands for. No, dummies, look for the context, (laughs) please. Look for the context and the nuance, please. What we're seeing her do right now is not an act. You know how people put on an act? When they're running for office, right, they do things for office, they say things for office. I'm seeing consistencies in who she is as a person and who she's been saying she is as a person all along. And I've got to say, this isn't an act. People who want to dwell on and criticize a record, they fail to see her current actions and they don't pay attention to her now if they did they'd see things like her epic, though kindly delivered, destruction of John Cornyn when she was addressing the death of Brianna Taylor in Congress. Right? Yep. Who didn't just like... I Memes were made of her. Memes were made of her. I believe if you look for the fuck around and find out <laughs> that meme, that came from that Cornyn comment that bull... <laughs> just absolutely hilarious, stupid Cornyn comment. And she's like, uh, yeah, they're public meetings. <laughs> And we'll give you the video in the show notes, of course. Why wouldn't we? But yes, uh, John Cornyn died that day. (laughs) These are the images of Kamala that stick in my mind. You know what I mean? You know, if you're paying attention, you're seeing a malleable civic minded politician. And I just want to urge you to see that and find that instead of acting like a campaign speechwriter for the opposition, because I feel like that's what people do. You're, you're Susan Sarandoning it. Don't do that.
3: So I wanted to talk about two things. The first is, if you don't subscribe to the Juggernaut, it's a brown online zine that's very, very good. They have a series of articles about Senator Harris, and one that kind of covered the end of her presidential run was written by Sarah Thaka Matthews. And there's a quote in there that said something along the lines that, people saw her willingness to update her thinking to move to different positions as inconsistencies and a series of attempts to you know please different and sometimes oppositional constituents and I feel like we need to address again since 2016 we've been addressing how women are covered in the media and things like that and how You know, women are held to a higher standard than men. And again, that purity thing. So what I want to talk about in terms of how I felt when Senator Harris was nominated, I kind of expected it. I feel like she conceded to drop out of the race for this, you know, because at the time she was, you know, it was clearly between before Michael Bloomberg joined the race. It was clearly between Senators Warren and Sanders and vice president biden right like i think everybody those were the people that everybody expected to be the top three um at the beginning of the thing you know knowing what i know about politics knowing what my degree studying politics and the science of it has taught me is that i feel like that may have been some kind of concession but what i want to talk about with senator harris is all the stories that came out immediately afterwards discussing how she identifies herself so marina you touched on it we all know she is biracial of indian and Jamaican descent so we there were a lot of talks within the diaspora about how she doesn't identify as Indian she's not Indian enough and I want to at least acknowledge that and I've mentioned this on this podcast before that I have cousins who are black and you know Trinidadian Indian you know so There are things that they experienced within our own family that I don't experience because they are black. And so I feel like the Indian diaspora in general is anti-black. And so her and Maya and perhaps her mother may have been shunned, you know, in the terms of they're not pure. They don't fit in. They don't do this.
1: Yeah, they were definitely treated poorly as black children when they were young there are stories that they couldn't play with kids when they visited their dad because they were black and imagine you know we've talked for what three seasons now about anti-blackness in Indian communities imagine how they were when they were around Indian people
3: yes and so I just want to ask people to sit with the fact that we have a whole podcast about being rejected by, you know, our peers, our elders, not being good enough Indian. So just imagine what that would feel like when you're already treated as an outsider for not being purely racially Indian, right? So I think we need to not put how we identify ourselves and our expectations about how we express our culture onto other people and recognize that there is room for a collective identity that allows everybody to be proud of their heritage and not shamed for how they've progressed and adapted. And so when I thought, uh, when I heard this, I was like, wow, the, there's going to be a lot of discourse about identity and collective community and things like that. And to that I just want to say, you know, you can't sit around and tell your kid you're special, you're one of a kind and and you get told, you know, you are stardust and, you know, all these things and then not forget it when it comes time to talk about somebody else. You know, everybody is a single individual human being. And with that comes everything that a single free thinking, you know, free
1: willed person would do. And so, again, Um, who isn't a narcissist. Machiavelli right. and so we we need to make that distinction exactly
3: and so you have in the 2020 election the opportunity to prove that the 2016 election was not the paradigm shift was not the the fi- the most significant election of the 2010s and 2020s right it's yeah. not the defining one that's the opportunity we have here to course correct and if you're sitting here. And holding um, Senator Harris to these standards, I need to hear coming out your mouth and your asshole, you talk about <laughs> Mike Pence and Donald Trump and their past behaviors and hold them to account too. You can't do this. If you do this, it's misogynoir. If you do this, only to Senator Harris. Yeah. If you're only picking apart the, the one person of color, running for top seat in this country since President Obama in twenty twelve in the last eight years, then you need to please or do what we told Susan Sarandon to do. Be quiet and sit with it. Nobody has for you.
1: Shut the fuck up. Shut 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 the fuck up, <laughs> so- please. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was bottled in and I had to yell. Um, uh, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like this was my point number two. Remember that I said I didn't want to talk about very yeah. much. Check your sexism. Yeah. Check your sexism. You heard what I read in her. F- I gave you the like the most abridged version of her resume there can be. <laughs> and and yet you will stop and question. And compare this person, this woman, to the most mediocre fucking male that there exists and go, well, what about her nuanced, but tiny detail? I don't think she can be a politician. You know, like, oh my God, stop Susan Sarandoning. Like, that's all I've got to say. Everything is Gamergate (laughs) and you. What are
3: your thoughts on this historic moment?
2: Um, I mean, like y'all, I was obviously happy. I, like you said, Pooja, I wasn't necessarily surprised, but it was a, it was a nice validation of what I was expecting and hoping would happen for sure. Um, I was surprised to have those conversations with people uh, in my family, I think that first weekend who thought she, she didn't really count as Indian or she didn't really claim her Indianness. And I thought that was really bizarre. I'm like, she was raised by her Indian mom. That's pretty much all she talks about. I don't know how much more Indian you need her to be. Um, the other thing that I was really struck by and this especially when I was watching the um the Democratic Convention her speech her acceptance speech um for the VP nomination I was really struck by how like norm shattering her nomination really is not just as the first woman of color at the top of the ticket but also just like She's biracial. She's, uh, you know, an HBCU grad, like Miranda pointed out. Her husband is Jewish. She has stepkids like like we're so used to the White House presenting a very specific, very narrow definition of what an American family looks like, which is almost always white, almost always Christian, almost always a normal nuclear type family. And I was just struck by how Kamala is representative of it so many different other categories of what it means to be American and what American life looks like.
1: Yeah, okay. I think that we hit rock bottom so hard that it opened up the door for that. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, after you let this fucking sociopath be the current occupant with a wife whose, you know, citizenship procedures are suspect, you know... I, I anybody, you know, it, it kind of leaves room for what you're talking about, which I think is, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's totally, it's really norm shattering. It's amazing. So that was what we had to say before we even knew anything was going to go down. Obviously, we're still a little in shock. I don't know. I'm still in shock. I'm also thinking of the January 5th Georgia election, you know, runoff Senate elections that are coming up soon i'm also thinking what foolishness is the republican party going to try right now so i'm not getting too excited but i'm a little excited and i'm so so proud that there is a woman like us up there and what this is going to mean for the future what other women do because she's done it and i don't know if we mentioned this earlier but her secret service name is what
3: Pioneer. Pioneer.
1: Which actually, now that you all said that, is just like going to make me start crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's a fucking pioneer. Yep. And uh, we're excited to see what's next for her and what she gets to do for our country in this extremely powerful and influential position. So uh, stay tuned. Thank you for listening. This has been Miranda.
3: Anju, and Pooja with the Jilted Indian Podcast. We came with love and courage and hope you go in peace and power. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. You've been listening to the Jilted Indian Podcast. The Jilted Indian Podcast is an independent production produced by the hosts Miranda, Anju, and Pooja. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jilted Indian Pod. For more information on episodes, including show notes, visit jiltedindianpod.com.